Chapter Five of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nuchet Carey. Chapter Five Fairy Magnificent. Leave no stone unturned. Euripides. What is useful is beautiful. Socrates. Wish me good luck, and do not expect me until you see me, were Waveney's last words, as Molly stood at the door with a very woe-begone face. Cheer up, Moll. Care killed the cat, you know. And then she waved her hand and vanished. It was still quite early in the afternoon when she reached Berkeley Square. In spite of her assumed cheerfulness, her courage was at a low ebb. The imposing appearance of the houses awed her. She knocked timidly, and the butler who opened the door looked like a dignified and venerable clergyman. He received her affably, as though she were an expected guest. Miss Harford was out driving, but would be back shortly. His mistress, Mrs. Mainwaring, had desired that Miss Ward should be shown into the drawing-room. Waveney never felt so small and insignificant in her life. For the first time, she was conscious of a wish to be tall, as she followed him down the corridor. Then the thickness of the carpets distracted her, and the cabinets of china. Then a door was opened, and she heard her name announced, and a soft little voice said, "'Certainly, Druce, show the young lady in.' For one moment Waveney hesitated. The owner of the voice seemed invisible. It was a beautiful room, grander than anything the girl had ever seen, and it was full of sunshine and the scent of flowers. Tall palms were everywhere, and china pots with wonderful Japanese chrysanthemums, and there were screens and standard lamps, and a curtained archway leading to an inner room. And here Waveney at last discovered a tiny old lady, half buried in an immense easy chair. She was the prettiest old lady in the world, but as diminutive as a fairy. Her cheeks were as pink as Molly's, and she had beautiful silvery curls under her lace cap. A mass of white, fleecy knitting lay on her satin lap, and the small wrinkled fingers were loaded with costly brilliance. Fairy Magnificent, Waveney named her when she was retelling the account of her visit. She looked up with a pleasant smile and pointed to a chair. You have called to see my niece, Miss Harford. Oh, yes, she is expecting you, but she was obliged to pay a business visit. My nieces are busy women, Miss Ward. Perhaps you will find that out for yourself some day. Waveney began to feel less shy. She looked around the room that she might describe it properly to Molly. How Molly reveled in that description afterwards. It was like a page in a storybook. Flowers and statues and palms and that beautiful old lady in her satin gown. Fairy Magnificent was evidently fond of talking, for she rippled on, in her soft voice, like a little purling brook. 
knitting all the time. Oh, we all have our gifts, my dear, but I am afraid in my day girls were terribly worldly. It was not the fashion to cultivate philanthropy or altruism, as they call it. I recollect a young man asking one of my nieces if they went in for slumming. I wonder what we should have thought of such a question when I was young. Does Miss Harford do that sort of thing? asked Waveney, with something of her old animation. She was such a dear little old lady, like a piece of Dresden china. Oh, not slumming exactly. They are too sensible to take up every passing craze. But they do an immense deal of good. They have a home for governesses and broken-down workers very near them at Erpingham, and they have a room in the garden where they do all sorts of things. They have Thursday evenings for shop girls, regular social evenings, tea and music and talk, and the girls are as nicely behaved as possible. Oh, what a grand idea! And Waveney's eyes began to gleam and sparkle. I have always been so sorry for shop girls. I think they have such a hard, pushing sort of life. The poor things are often so tired, but they have to look pleasant all the same. Mrs. Mainwaring looked amused at the girl's energy, but before she could reply, there were quick, decided footsteps in the outer room, and the next moment a tall, dark woman in a walking dress entered. When Waveney rose from her chair, the lady looked at her with extreme surprise. "'Miss Ward, I suppose,' and her manner was a little brusque. "'Please sit down again, and I will speak to you directly. Aunt Sarah, may I have the carriage, please? Morris says the horses are quite fresh. I find the letter that I expected is at the Red House, so it will be better for me to talk it all over with Althea.' "'Do as you like,' returned Mrs. Mainwaring, tranquilly. "'But you must attend to this young lady first, you know.' And then Miss Harford took a seat near Waveney. The girl was suffering from a sense of painful disillusion. Mrs. Mainwaring's talk had given her a favourable idea of Miss Harford, but when she saw her, her first thoughts were, "'What a grievous pity that such a good woman should be so plain!' but the next moment she added, "'Plain is too mild a term. She is really quite ugly,' and it could not be denied that Dame Nature had treated Miss Harford somewhat churlishly. Her figure was angular, and a little clumsy, and not even her well-cut tailor-made tweed could set it off to advantage. Her features were strongly marked, and her complexion sallow, and her low forehead and heavy eyebrows gave her a rather severe look. She could not be less than forty, probably a year or two over that, but there was no affectation of youth, either in dress or manner. Perhaps the only point in her favour was a certain frankness and sincerity in her expression that, after a time, appealed to people and yet her eyes were a light, cold grey. Strangers seldom took to her at first. Her quick, decided manners were rather too brusque, and then her voice was so harsh and deep, but they soon found out that she was to be trusted, and by and by they grew to love her. 
Doreen Harford always spoke of herself as the ugly duckling, who would never change into a swan in this world. "'I never do anything by halves,' she would say, laughing, and her laugh was as fresh and ringing as a child's, though perhaps a little hard. "'I am as ugly as they make them, my dear,' for she was too happy and busy a woman to fret over her lack of beauty, though she adored it when she found it, and petted all the pretty children and animals. "'There's Aunt Sarah,' she would go on. "'Is she not like one of Watteau's shepherdesses? "'Did you ever see anything so fine and pink and dainty? "'And she is seventy-three. "'She has had lovers by the score, "'and she was only a young woman when General Mainwaring died. "'But she would never marry again, bless her.' When Miss Harford sat down, she pulled off her gloves in rather a disturbed manner. I was sorry to keep you waiting, but I had to go out on urgent business. You are very young, Miss Ward, younger than I expected, and then Miss Warburton led me to suppose. She spoke in a slightly aggressive voice, as though Miss Ward were somehow to blame for her youthful aspect. That will mend in time, Doreen, my love observed Mrs. Mainwaring kindly. I think Miss Ward seems a very sensible young lady. And then Waveney longed to hug her. I am nineteen, she said, looking Miss Harford full in the face. That is not so very young, after all. And I have acted as secretary to a lady in Shane Walk. It was only a morning engagement, certainly, but Miss Warburton knows all about me and she thought this situation would just suit me. I am fond of reading aloud, and I never get tired, and... Doreen, if you do not engage this young lady, I think I shall. But Mrs. Mainwaring was only joking, as her niece knew well, for it would have been more than her life was worth to do such a thing. For Fairy Magnificent had a faithful maid who simply worshipped her, and would have fought any woman who offered to do her service. Her mistress wanted no paid companion as long as she was in the house, she would say, and as Rachel ruled her mistress, and indeed the whole household, there was little probability of her indulging in this luxury. Miss Harford's face brightened. She understood the purport of her aunt's little joke. She liked Miss Ward and wished her niece to engage her. Althea will not mind her being young, she said significantly, and then Miss Harford turned to Waveney. Miss Warburton will have given you some idea of the duties required, and now her manner had decidedly softened. We are very busy people, and we lead two lives, the working life and the social life, and as we are fairly strong, we manage to enjoy both. Unfortunately, my sister has had a little trouble with her eyes lately. The doctors say it is on the nerves. Sometimes when she reads or writes, she has pain in them and has to close her book or shut up her desk. If she were to persevere, the pain would become excruciating. It is certainly on the nerves, for sometimes she is not troubled at all. I understand, returned Waveney in a low voice. Our doctor is an old friend and a very sensible man, continued Miss Harford. 
and he proposed that my sister should find some young lady with a good voice and pleasant manner who would read to her especially in the evenings when nothing is going on and to whom she could dictate letters oh i am sure i could do that returned waveney eagerly and then mrs mainwaring chimed in again my dear i am an old woman so you may believe me my nieces are the best women i know and they make every one happy at the red house now aunt sarah returned miss harford good-humouredly how are miss ward and i to understand each other if you will keep interrupting us you see miss ward the duties are very light and you will have plenty of time to yourself we want someone young and cheerful who will make herself at home and be ready for any little service are you musical i can sing a little but my voice has not been well trained that is a pity now should you mind reading us a page or two and she handed her a novel that was lying open on the table waveney flushed but took the book at once for the first few minutes her voice trembled then she thought of the new gown she wanted to buy for molly at christmas and then it grew steady miss ward reads very nicely does she not aunt sarah was miss harford's approving comment i think althea will be pleased then turning to waveney with a pleasant smile that lit up her homely features as sunshine lights up a granite rock i really see no reason why we should not come to terms i do not know what we ought to offer you miss ward but my sister thought fifty pounds a year waveney gave a little start of surprise the terms seemed magnificent oh she said impulsively i shall be able to help father what happiness that will be and then her face fell a little will you tell me please is it very far to erpingham do you mean from here no not exactly i am thinking of my own home we live in cleveland terrace chelsea then miss harford seemed somewhat taken aback is your father's name everard ward she asked abruptly oh yes have you heard of him returned waveney naively he is an artist but his pictures do not sell and he has only his drawing lessons that is why i want to help him because he works so hard and looks so tired and molly that is my sister is a little lame and cannot do much is that all your family you do not speak of your mother miss harford was looking at the girl a little strangely she is dead returned waveney in a low voice she died when molly and i were ten years old but there is a younger brother noel then miss harford turned to her aunt aunt sarah i really think it would be best for althea to see miss ward herself you know i have to drive over to erpingham now it is quite early in the afternoon she continued looking at waveney can you not come with me we shall be at the red house in three-quarters of an hour i could drop you at sloane square station by seven it will be a pleasant drive and the evenings are still light until eight waveney hesitated what would molly say to her long absence but then her father never returned home before eight on his norwood days the drive tempted her 
and then the idea of seeing Erpingham. "'If you are sure that I shall be back by seven, she said, and then Miss Harford rang the bell and ordered the carriage. "'Althea will give us tea. Come, Miss Ward.' And then Mrs. Mainwaring held out her soft little hand to the girl. "'Good-bye, my dear. You will be as happy as a bird at the Red House. Give my love to Althea, Doreen, and tell her to rest her poor eyes.' Waveney thought of Cinderella and the pumpkin coach as she stepped into the luxurious carriage. The novelty of the position, the enjoyment of the swift, smooth motion, and the amusement of looking out at the crowded street completely absorbed her, and for some time Miss Harford made no attempt to draw her into conversation. But presently she began to talk, and then Waveney found herself answering all sorts of questions about herself and Molly, how they amused themselves, and why her father's pictures did not sell. And then Waveney, who was very girlish and frank, told her all their disappointment about King Canute, and Miss Harford listened with such kindly interest that Waveney felt grateful to her. Father was so low and cast down about it last night, he said he should never have the heart to paint a picture again, because the dealers were so hard on him, and I'm afraid he meant it, too. Oh, what a nice gray church! And actually, we are coming to a river. Oh, how picturesque those reddish-brown sails look in the sunshine! This is Dareham, returned her companion. It is not such a very long drive, is it? In little more than ten minutes we shall have reached our destination. And then she began pointing out various objects of interest. Another church? the shops in High Street where they dealt, then a high, narrow house, very dull and gloomy-looking. Some dear old friends of ours live in that house, she said. It is not very inviting-looking, is it? Once they lived in such a beautiful place, until old Mr. Shater lost his money. I am always so sorry for them. I think troubles of this kind fall very heavily on some natures, Waveney assented to this, but the subject did not much interest her. They had left Dareham behind now, and before them lay a wide green common with pleasant roads intersecting it. A little clear pool by the roadside rippled in the sunlight. Near it was a broad, grassy space shaded by trees. Two or three nurses sat on benches, and some children were dancing hand in hand advancing and retreating, and singing in shrill little voices, Here we go gathering nuts in May. They were chanting, and then one child fell down and began to cry. Across the common there were soft blue distances and a crisp wind, laden with the perfumes of firs and blackberries, fanned their faces. Then they drove through some white gates, a lodge and a long, shady lane were before them, with long, park-like meadows on one side. It was all so sweet, so still and peaceful in the evening light, that Waveney was half sorry to find that their journey was at an end. For the next moment the carriage stopped, and the lodge-keeper opened some more gates, 
curtsying with a look of pleasure when she saw Miss Harford. "'I have not come home to stay, Mrs. Monkton,' observed Miss Harford with a friendly nod, and then the horses began frisking down a winding carriage drive. The shrubbery was thick, but every now and then Waveney had glimpses of little shut-in lawns, one with a glorious cedar in the middle, and another with a sundial and a peacock. An old red brick Elizabethan house was at the end of the drive, with a long sunny terrace round it. At the sound of the wheels, two little Yorkshire terriers flew out to greet their mistress with shrill barks of joy. "'Oh, what pretty little fellows!' exclaimed Waveney. "'Yes, they are great pets. Fuss and fury, that is what we call them,' returned Miss Harford, smiling. "'And I think you will allow that the names suit them.'" End of chapter 5